the house of God like a spiritual family. It's biblically what it is called and designed to be. And like in our own home, I like balance. I like to make sure we have fun, but I also like to make sure that we work hard and we're building towards something and we have a vision and we have family time, but we also have time where we work and we have different areas and focuses and time to spend with God and having a good balance in the Word and worship, but also not being religious and spiritually weird and making sure that we're going and seeing a movie and we're having date nights. Obviously, Zara doesn't come on date nights. Uh, That's Sarah my time. But it's important when you're building a family to have balance um, because it brings fruitfulness. The same is true as when we come spiritually to partake and we eat on the Word uh, to have balance. And so so sometimes the Word comes forth with conviction and and, uh, powerfully and it's a preaching mode. And sometimes we have to get into an understanding of teaching mode. And what I love about the theme of Grace is probably of any theme in the Bible, particularly in today's age, I think it requires balance when you get an understanding of the grace of God. And so I wanted to start with this question that, that God actually threw out uh, to Adam and Eve, and he said this, Adam, where are you? In the book of Genesis. And I want to start there with this first section, Adam, where are you? Because Despite us, you know, coming into the things of God and understanding the Word of God as we get uh, more and more embedded into the local church and His kingdom, sometimes we don't get a good understanding of certain areas of scriptural teaching. And, you know, we can get a good understanding of faith or we can get a good understanding of the Holy Spirit. We can get a good understanding of the cross. We can get a solid understanding of salvation. Um, but sometimes it's important to understand the grace and where it balances uh, in, its, in the teaching of the Word of God in relation to all of those topics. And when I think someone discovers the balance of understanding how grace is applied to their life, that's when people not only, are, you know, the Bible teaches that love covers a multitude of sins. So when people can tap into the covering, the protection of God's grace, it's good. But also when they take responsibility. So they don't allow grace to be an excuse for why they're not growing. But they actually have, again, I love this word, responsibility, the ability to respond. So we respond to God's grace by actually having a desire and a hunger to grow and to become everything that he has for us. And so I think it helps to change our perspective on God when we get a good, solid, healthy, scriptural, balanced understanding and revelation of what we mean by grace. And so one thing that I like to, first of all, bring, because I think it shifts some mindsets right at the beginning, and that is grace is not just a New Testament thing. A lot of times we believe or we've been taught that grace starts with Jesus. Well, grace is centered in Jesus, and Jesus really is the pinnacle example of God's grace. But the grace of the Father was very relevant in the Old Testament. The grace of God did not start in the New Testament with Jesus dying on the cross. The, the, the understanding of grace was fulfilled because of the work of the cross, but it didn't start there. A lot of us have this wrong understanding of the Father heart of God in the Old Testament that's all doom and gloom, and the prophets bring all those old doom and gloom prophecies. The Father heart of God was still very obvious with the people of of God, Israel, in the Old Testament. And, uh, and so we want to look at this, that despite what often is taught, grace is not just a New Testament idea. Grace didn't begin with Jesus, but it was certainly personified by him. And grace didn't begin with Jesus, but some of God's first acts recorded in the Bible actually revealed to us God's personality and character and how he feels towards us. God's constant extensions of grace towards us often go unnoticed until they are removed. And even then, we are only thankful sometimes for a moment. And in Genesis, God created the entire universe and gave it to his people. And this was the beginning of grace. And so let's have a look at that. There is more beauty. If you think about the world, you think about everything that God gave in the book of Genesis. And he made the world in seven days. There is more beauty in this world than one person can fully comprehend and abundance that people cannot fully discover in just one lifetime. Look at the varieties of food. Look at the varieties of drink. Look at the the mountains. Look at the jungles. Look at the lakes that we have to explore and the unique planet and the animal life that inhabit each one. Just think about the abundance of God's creation for a moment. And God gave that to us so that we could enjoy and explore the uh, abundance and the, the what we call extravagant grace of God. Even the creation 
of God itself, that he gave us uh, the world, he, uh, he designed the world for us to have dominion, is an example of the very nature and heartbeat of the grace of God. Yet despite all the abundance, despite all the things that God set up for the world as he, he you know, created Adam and Eve to enjoy it, and his plan was for the rest of humankind to enjoy it and take dominion of it, despite all of that, Adam and Eve sinned. And so we know the Bible teaches that sin then led to what we call shame. Everyone say shame. shame. And then sh- shame led to another thing called blame. Everyone say blame. blame. And then Adam blamed God for his mistakes. So Adam and Eve sinned. That led to shame. Then that led to blame, actually blaming God for the mistakes. But instead of anger, instead of death, instead of immediate punishment, what was God's first words in reaction to the sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world. It was this question, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? That God's actual graceful heart was reaching out saying, Adam, where are you? I want to know where you are. I want to reconnect with who you are. I want to come and protect you and cover you. Adam, where are you? Their sin did not cause them to be unable to hear his voice. Listen to that. That's another example of God's grace right there at the beginning in the book of Genesis. That even though they just sinned, it didn't mean that they weren't able to hear the voice of the Father. It didn't shut them off from that. The fact that God reached out to them and said, hey, where are you? Because they were hiding. They were ashamed. They felt distant from God. But yet God reached out to them right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden saying, where are you? Their sin did not cause them to be unable to hear his voice, and it did not separate them. God came looking for them despite their wrongs, and he continues to search for you and I despite our wrongs by his amazing grace. Now, I believe this morning that that's going to bless someone here. Because sometimes when I believe that sometimes when we approach the Old Testament or we read the Old Testament, we get confused that that's all about, you know, punishment and and a harsh father God. I mean, come on a second. Jesus has come to fulfill. But you can get into the Old Testament and you can read the stories of the Old Testament and get good revelation from the Old Testament, understanding that the very grace of God that, yes, was completed and fulfilled through Christ was was still evident right at the beginning in the heartbeat of the Father. Even the Bible teaches that, that the Word was the beginning and the beginning was Word, that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the epitome of God's grace, was already predestined and planned in the heartbeat of the Father before Adam and Eve were even made. Which meant that God already had an idea for salvation. God already had an idea of the completion of grace even, even before He knew that man was going to sin or that man chose to sin. And so if you think about that right from the beginning of the creation of the world, God already had it planned for the full extension and expression of Him reaching out to save people, cover people, love people, and adore people. Let them know that even though they may fall short, that He's there to protect them and to help them was even the beginning before Adam and Eve were created. Come on, think about it. If God had pre-planned all of that, how amazing then is the grace of God? How full and rich and abundant and everlasting is the grace of God that you and I can freely tap into because of Jesus Christ. And so the first bit there this morning in this teaching of life-changing. God is life-changing. The grace of God is life-changing when you can tap into the revelation of how amazing God's grace is. Let's now talk about the problem of sin. Everyone say, the problem of sin. Okay, so in order to understand the grace of God, we have to address the problem of sin. Sin doesn't always get much time at church. Neither does the word hell these days. So what's great about talking about the grace of God, because, because of the grace of God, it means that we're saved from cooking a lot in the kitchen. No. <laughs> Sometimes I say, thank you, Jesus, for bringing me an amazing wife who can cook because you've saved me from the hell of cooking. <laughs> Because uh, not that I find necessarily c- cooking uh, hell, but eating the food that I've cooked, well, that's closer to it. But no, we're saved from damnation, being damned, which means being cursed forever. 
Christ came to break off the curses and to bring you into blessing. The true definition of blessing is to live forever in the presence of God without having to have earned the right to enter the presence of God and live there forever. And so God actually saves us from this place called hell. Now, talking about hell is not a popular thing, particularly on Facebook these days. Okay? Listening to a sermon about hell is not the most popular sermon these days. But can I tell you, sometimes it's important and it's healthy to remind people that there actually is a place called hell. And it's not designed for you and I. It's not created for you and I. It's created for the demons and the devil himself, all the fallen angels, all the things that are dark and distant from the one true God. Unfortunately, though, when people don't come into the truth, don't come into the the revelation of who Jesus Christ is, the Bible teaches clearly that unless they repent, unless they give their heart to Christ, unless they come to know the one true God, then they will enter that place called hell. And so, can I tell you, when you get a revelation not just of heaven, but when you have a fresh revelation of hell, you know when you know you're not going to a place that's really yucky. It helps to actually get a fresh revelation of grace, and it really does a beautiful thing to your heart. It humbles you. You know when you go to a funeral and you have a fresh revelation of the gift of life and how life can be taken like that, and you walk away and it just humbles you, and it makes you self-reflective on, I need to adore my family more. I need to love my family more. Instead of spending extra hours in the office worrying about the finances, I need to go and spend some extra hours with my family and hug them and love them more. That's what the beautiful thing sometimes of getting closer to these realities of life and death. The same is true as when we, as Christians, we get a fresh revelation sometimes thinking about hell. But let's go back to the problem of sin. It doesn't always get much time at church, the word sin, because it's a confronting topic and some people are often offended by it. However, many of Christianity's core tenets, such as the Immaculate Conception of Mary, Jesus' death on the cross, and the concept of grace doesn't make sense unless we actually talk about sin. And so most people relate sin with bad decisions or mistakes in life that may hurt yourself or others. But the Bible goes even further and says that sin is actually an inherited condition which entered all of humankind through Adam. Let's have a look at Scripture here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned, the Bible says. So sin is also behavior or thoughts or acts with real consequences that can include shame, it can include guilt, it can include relationship breakdown, it can include spiritual sorrow. And so even though you might change your behavior to avoid certain consequences, it still doesn't solve this problem of inherited sin, the condition of the heart, the fact that we actually have this thing called sinful nature. I joke a lot about it. You don't need to teach your child how to lie. You need to teach your child how to tell the truth. Amen. You don't have to teach your child how to, you know, grab the, the thing from the little jar and hide it behind the cushion um, so they can play with it later. No, you need to teach them to not touch things and to actually respect things that mom and dad say don't. And so there's a nature within us through the choices of Adam and Eve. It's not just about consequences that we avoid by actually making right decisions, but also there's a nature within us that we, we have tension, we fight every single day of our lives called the sinful nature. And that's why it's important to understand the grace of God because the grace of God helps us to deal with it, work with it, and fight against it and try and come into more the fullness of being led by the Holy Spirit rather than being led by the sinful nature. And so um, we understand that peace, the peace of God, is not simply uh, about not sinning, but the peace of God is understanding that the grace of God helps us to come in and deal with this thing called sinful nature. And so... Even though you may change your uh, behavior or your, 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 your choices to avoid this thing called sinful con- consequences, in the Old Testament, we know that the blood of the animal was, was uh, sacrificed in order to atone for sin. Now, because we've got Jesus Christ, his blood once and for all was shed so that we can distance ourselves f- from this thing called sin and we can actually be free from the power of the sinful nature to come into the spirit and have victory. Who thinks that that's exciting? I said, who thinks that that's exciting? 
Come on, just because I'm in teaching mode doesn't mean you can't get excited about the Word. Amen. But <clears throat> let's have a look here at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Actually, look at what Scripture says about it. As in Adam we all die, even so in Christ we shall be made alive. As in Adam we all die, even so in Christ we shall be made alive. And so God's remedy to sin was to allow one final, worthy and perfect sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. And so I know that most of you know that, but I just wanted to set the scene because God has used the blood of Jesus as the answer to fully restore our ability to walk with God. Now let's talk about grace and peace, because I think sometimes there's a misunderstanding about grace and peace as well. It's an observable fact, if you look at the teachings of Apostle Paul, he actually begins and ends each of his books with a reference to the grace of God, but always links it to the peace of God. And this is more than just a random coincidence, it signifies the prominent place that grace has in Paul's theology. And so whatever the apostle wrote in any of these letters, it was always present, presented in the light of the grace of God. Let's have a look at Galatians 1.3. This is from uh, Paul's teaching. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Everyone say grace. Everyone say peace. Everyone say grace. Everyone say peace. Ephesians 1.1. Again, Apostle Paul. This letter is from Paul and was chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, I am writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Now, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. But I don't know about you, but sometimes life doesn't feel like it's full of grace and peace. Grace and peace. More like, right? So let's get a fuller understanding of, let's not just be superficial here. Grace and peace. Thank you, Jesus. Grace and peace. Let's not be just superficial. Let's go deeper than that and understand exactly how is this supposed to help us. Let's have a look at Paul. I mean, Paul's actually writing these scriptures. And I can guarantee you that Paul's not writing it superficially. Why? Because let's have a look at what Paul was like before he actually got hit in the face with the reality of Jesus. Who's this guy called Paul going on and on about grace and peace? All right. So Paul, before he met Jesus, Paul's life was filled with an inner anger. He was violent, he was hateful, and although he was a religious man, he ticked all the right religious boxes, his heart was hard. Now, you may be sitting here today going, well, Brad, I've accepted Christ, but I can still actually relate to that stuff. Well, it's one thing to accept Christ, but it's another thing to continually invite him into your heart to constantly be doing a work on a daily basis. That is called a life of repentance. Once the grace of God touched Paul, within him a peace settled on him that was so overwhelming. It it actually stayed with him even when he had been shipwrecked. I mean, think about it. He was shipwrecked, and yet there was a supernatural peace of God that stayed with him. Paul was beaten for preaching the Word of God. I mean, sometimes I've been ridiculed for preaching the Word of God, but I've never been beaten. Thank you, Jesus. But he, the Bible teaches that he was literally dragged out of places and beaten and yet had an inner peace. He was abandoned by his church followers and yet he still had a peace. They all mocked him and said, oh, we don't like you. Nah. Completely abandoned. And yet he had a peace. And he had physical suffering. Not only was he, imp- was he imprisoned, but he went through physical ailments. He had difficulties. He had hindrances physically, and yet he had a supernatural peace. So the idea of peace that he talks about, not just grace and peace, but peace. See, sometimes, again, we think peace is this cute little nice Christian idea, but peace is is actually the peace of God 
that you actually get via the vehicle called the grace of God is a weapon of warfare in your life. And the idea of peace is derived from the Hebrew term called shalom. And this word was used by Hebrew people when they greeted each other, and it was very positive, but its essential meaning was well-being. That the innermost being of your soul is well, it's whole, it's strong, it's overcoming. It signified productive and harmonious relationships between people that made for wholeness and prosperity. You know, there's something that the soul longs for, and I can tell you it's the peace of God. It's the shalom. Let me read that again. When you have that peace of God, it signifies productive and harmonious relationships between people that made for wholeness and prosperity. Peace is not simply a happy thought or a calm feeling, that's the superficial understanding of it, but true peace, true peace that we get from the grace of God comes from entering into a relationship of grace with Jesus, our Prince of Peace. What does a relationship mean when we have a relationship with Jesus? Does that mean that we just believe in Jesus? Well, you get saved by believing in Jesus, but having a relationship with Jesus is... Relating with him, talking with him, spending time with him. If you want to become more like someone, what do you have to do? You have to hang out with them. Think about it. To become more like someone. If I wanted to become more like Sarah here, I'd have to hang out because the Bible talks that iron sharpens iron, that who you hang out with is who you become. That if you want to look at your destiny, look at the people that you hang out with. Okay, where are they going? What do they do? What are they into? your friends, who you choose to relate with, who you choose to spend time with. If you choose to spend time with people who are always stressed and like always on the edge, right? It's going to rub off. It will probably steal a bit of your peace. Now, sometimes we're called to minister to those people and hang out with those people. Maybe we're married to someone like that. And that's why you need to hang out with Jesus because you need a whole lot of his peace to minister to the one that you're in covenant relationship with. Amen. But if you want more peace in your life, you want more grace, sometimes we think the way to get more grace is to do the right things. Oh, God, please give me more grace if I just tick all the right boxes. No, just spend time with Him. And then through the grace of God, not because of what you've done, but through what He's done, you will actually enjoy more peace and peace will enter your life. I want to challenge some people here today. There is a big difference, huge difference, massive difference between superficially wanting to connect with Jesus and actually in a true way wanting to connect with Jesus. And can I tell you what the difference is? The difference comes usually down to one key factor, and that is hunger. Hunger for what? Another word is desire. A desire for what? That you actually have a deep hunger and a desire within you for the peace of God. Sometimes we're superficially committed to Jesus and relating to Jesus because we do have a hunger and a desire for peace, but we actually don't have the full revelation of the peace of God, and then we don't get reminded about how good it is when we hang out with Jesus. And so the peace of God is an important part of understanding the grace of God. Now let me talk about this other part, which is important when we talk about balance, and that's what we call grace and works. Everyone say works. Grace and works. The battle between grace and works has caused debates for many generations. Let's go there. What role, if any, do we play in our own salvation? This is an interesting thing. Do we have to do certain things to be saved? Let's have a look at what the Bible talks about. People with a works perspective may spend their lives trying to be good enough for God. Everyone breathe in. Everybody that and said this, oh, that's so tiring. Oh, come on. Someone here, if you've done drama with me, drama at school, just be a little bit more animated. We've got some people. Everyone say, oh, that's so tiring. <laughs> Trying to work towards the grace of God. Even good things like, and this is what I say, even the good things, the things that we do out of duty will get tiring after a while 
if we actually don't spend time with God and just know that in the freedom of the grace of God, we respond to God's grace now by actually doing things to build his kingdom, serving him, serving people, loving people, praying for people, ministering to people. But we don't do those things in order to enjoy the grace of God. We do those things as a response from the grace of God. Now, can I tell you personally, for myself, I need to hear that every day myself. Because I, I'm an achiever. I like, to, I like to do things. I like to get things done. Does that make me better than anyone else? No, but it actually can be a weakness for me because sometimes my flesh will try and encourage me, well, if I just do this, I'm going to be closer to God. Even as a pastor, I have to keep myself humble before God and say, God, it's by your grace. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't ha- matter how many letters you've got after your name and how many letters you don't have after your name. Does not matter. We all have to be reminded this of this. On the other end of the spectrum, everyone say balance. On the other end of the spectrum, people with only a grace perspective may just say, well, it's all under grace, so who cares how I live? What about the scriptures that refer to standards of Christian living or obedience? Ooh, the word obedience. It's like vinegar to some people, isn't it? <laughs> obedience. <laughs> That's another word that we rarely say from the pulpit these days. Obedience. <laughs> uh. Remember, it was Jesus that said, go and sin no more. What we need to understand is that grace is not a one-time occurrence. It remains the foundation of our Christian faith. Similarly, repentance is not a one-time occurrence either. Balance. It needs to be the permanent posture of our heart. So even if we've just made a mistake, I always talk about this. Prophet Greg, one thing that I love that he's, he's built into me is you should be repenting every day. You should be repenting about the things you haven't even realized that you've done. That's caused you to maybe distance yourself from God. It's good. It's a healthy thing to do. And so it's not a case of grace or works, but it's actually a bit of both. So let's get some perspective here. The two concepts are on opposite ends of the spectrum. However, it's grace that enables good works. It's freedom with responsibilities. The Christian faith progresses through three, everyone say three, three distinct stages where grace and works play a part. So, first one, everyone say salvation. Okay, this is all grace. There is no works that leads to salvation. Okay, that's truth. That's what Scripture teaches. Okay, salvation is 100% all about grace. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's truth. So don't get caught up thinking, oh, I need to do this, this, and this to be saved. No, salvation is by grace and grace alone, not by works. Everyone say, that's true. Everyone say it again, that's true. Good. Number two, maturity. So the first one was salvation. Number two, maturity. This is the change process where I am growing spiritually and developing the fruits of the Spirit. It is all grace and part works, Ephesians 4.13. This will continue, continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, meaning that by grace we have the freedom then to go into and start to mature, to feed on the Word of God, to come into a church community where we learn to love people and minister to people even if they say the wrong thing or offend us and rub us up the wrong way. And we learn how to practice forgiveness. We learn to put our flesh off. Who knows that these are choices? We learn to actually humble ourselves and minister to people even when we feel like staying home in bed and watching TV on a Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. 
we learn the importance that from grace, the, the grace that Jesus has given us, we now have a calling to grow in the things of God. And it's not just all about me, but it's about me allowing the Holy Spirit and the love of God and the love of Christ to minister out of me into other people so I can become a vehicle and I can become a, 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 a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so I do a work, I position myself to do a work to bring a blessing to people's lives. You and I, do what we position ourselves so we do the work of the ministry by the grace of God. So those people who think, oh, you know, I'm saved and you know, I just can go and live my own way. Well, no. God actually says your life is now his. <laughs> By grace. Maturity. Number three. So first one was salvation. Number two was maturity. Number three was, is ministry. Everyone say Ministry. It's expanding a little bit more. As the more we grow and mature, the more than God calls more from us. Ministry. God has called me, you, all of us to serve others. That's what to minister means. Minister means to serve. To minister. To serve others. To build the church. To expand the kingdom. To express the gifts that he has put in you and I. Once again... It is all grace and part works. So the first one, salvation, is all grace and no works. Number two is maturity, which is all grace and part works, as in we have to partner with God. There are some people who are so disobedient and so stubborn. Sure, they're saved, but God can't really move through them or use them because they just won't position themselves for God to work through them or to submit under someone that God's put around them to actually help them to mature. Ministry, Ephesians 4, 11, 12. And he himself, that's God, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and some teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So don't fall into a grace mentality or false revelation of grace that removes any responsibility of Christian living for your life or just completely a works mentality that causes you to perform for your relationship with God. And so there are two extremes that are actually both lacking the anchor of balanced truth. Is everyone catching something here today? Is everyone catching something here today? Good. Let's talk about a culture of community of grace. The grace that we receive from God should change us. It should shape us and ultimately become a shared collective culture of our entire church. What God does in an individual should become a culture that each person helps to build in the church. The church is called to be a beautiful picture of God's grace to the world around us. A picture of how God can, will, does, and forever positions himself to change and transform people. The dynamic of being together is powerful. That's why God says, do not lose the habit of fellowship. It even says, do not get into the habit of stop fellowshipping. One of the signs of the end days, the end times, the last days, and when we say the end days, let's not be weird and think uh, the world's going to end in September, like there was some silly article on Facebook I mean, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know. No one knows. Scripture even says that Jesus doesn't, that the Father, some, in the end days, it will reveal it to the Son, but the Father knows. And so, but don't get weird with end times. But one of, the, one of the signs is that people fall away. Now, I believe that when you look at the enemy, when you look at the devil, when you look at darkness, whatever you want to call it, the reality of darkness and, is about being deceived. I always preach about this. And I say, don't be foolish and think that darkness is so obvious. Because if it's so obvious, then you're not going to easily be deceived. If it's so obvious that that's a trap and it's set you up to make you fall away, then if it's so obvious, it's actually not going to be very clever. It's not deceit. So darkness actually has an umbilical cord attached to a plan called deception. 
And so one of the things that I think is actually very important right now in the body of Christ, particularly in the Western culture, is faithful attendance to the local church. Because I think one of the biggest things through subtle deception, whether it be offense from past churches or whatever it is, is that we start to actually put our lifestyle on a pedestal even above God. Be very clear about this. The scriptures say, do not fall out of the habit of coming into fellowship with community. Why? Because it's actually not all about you. It's not all about you. It's not all about your ministry. It's not all about your calling. It's not about everything that God's going to do through you. It's also about what God's doing in a community that you're a part of. And sometimes that you need to not always be the star or be the performer or be the person who's attending. You actually sometimes need to actually just be there to encourage, to cheer on, and to stay humble. Can I say, I think one of the biggest challenges in Western society is sometimes church attendance has become... Um, inconvenient for people's lifestyles. I might go once a month because that suits me. I might go once a fortnight because that suits me. Me, 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 it's all about me. Me, 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 it's all about me. Look at me, listen to me. Me, me, me. Now, what do we all honestly think when we sense that someone is kind of in that place in their life? What we all think is, please get me a bucket. (laughs) Right? Humility is attractive, not just to other people, but humility is attractive to, uh, to God himself. And so it actually takes humility to say, you know what, God, I'm committed to your local church. Now, I know that people have had some bad experiences with church. We've all read the stories on Facebook from all different people and so many opinions. But can I tell you, this is an expression of who God is. Why? Because he's a generational God. I know now more so than ever do I have another saying of how important the local church is because I have my own child. The importance of getting together, the importance of of encouraging, the importance of, of being together and building up. We all need to understand the importance of local spiritual family because it's an expression of the grace of God. Does sometimes, sometimes turning up to church put you out? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd rather do something else? Mm-hmm. Think about your family, though. Does sometimes it put you out when you have to go to a family dinner? Mm-hmm. Is it some, you'd rather do something else? Mm-hmm. We need to make it a priority. A culture of commu- and community of grace. Let's talk about this. The dynamic of being together. There is change and transformation that can only happen in a community. And so God's grace often reaches us through God's people. And sometimes it's not because they're ministering grace to us. Sometimes we need to get our hands and knees and go, God, can you please give me grace so that we can actually have the patience to love the person we're sitting next to. Actually being a part of a community of other imperfect human beings enables you and positions you to pull on God's grace more than ever. And so a church with a culture of grace Now, we're not a perfect church. I don't think there is a perfect church. Jesus is perfect. He's about perfecting his his bride called the church. But a church with a culture of grace doesn't judge people to a different standard than themselves. In Matthew 7, 1 to 6. Now, this is an important scripture, and it's an interesting one, but judging people. Now, what's, what's really funny is, I've said this before, but you know when you hear someone saying, oh, you're so judging people. How dare you judge people? Do you know that the person who's actually making that comment is judging that person? <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Oh, you're so judgmental. 
<laughs> and you're we're doing what right now? So what I love about this scripture is it actually puts everyone in their place. <laughs> whether you think you're judgmental or not, or whether you think you're less judgmental than other people, it actually actually tells everyone, be quiet, everyone, and all humble yourself. This is pretty much what God's saying. Everyone just be quiet and stop judging everyone else's judgingness or lack of judgingness or whatever they think and just chill out. <laughs> Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, stop judging that you may not be judged. For as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. Verse 3. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove that splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrite, it says. Remove the wooden beam from your eye first, then you will see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. What I love about this is the way that you judge your boss will be the way that you get judged when you're a boss. Ooh. The way that you judge your earthly father's fathering of you is the way that your fathering will be judged. Ooh. Come on, everyone say ooh. Ooh. The way that you judge how your sister treats you is the same way that you're going to be judged how you're a sister. Ooh. The way that you judge how your spiritual leader leads is the same way that you're going to be judged how you spiritually lead. (laughs) And so on, and so on, and so on. I have learned that. That's why these lips stay quiet (laughs) a lot more often than what they used to. Uh, who, Who knows that that's wisdom? Yeah. Wisdom says, be quiet and close your mouth. Judging others. Acts 2.42, including people, is about God's grace. Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles and to the communal life, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. Also, a culture of grace, how Jesus wants us to express grace, extended graciousness to others. John 15, 12, this is my commandment, love one another as I love you. Grace culture celebrates Jesus as the reason and the solution. Uh, Grace culture is all about making sure we make Jesus the center of everything we talk about, everything that we worship. To have a heart for the lost and to reach toward others is about understanding the grace of God. Always thinking it's just inconvenient. Now again, we bring balance here. So it's about understanding this. Allow the Holy Spirit to prompt you when he wants you to become inconvenient. Inconvenienced. Again, it's a pendulum. Some people are uh, just on way too many things that they're doing, whether it be at work, whether it be in, you know, on a, in a church roster, whatever it is, because maybe, just maybe, they're actually trying to earn something. Now, there are a lot, a lot of people who love to, to serve, and that's great. I'm not having a go at those people. Good on you. But it's always today about having a check. But some people never, ever position themselves to do anything. Because it's just always, oh, that's just an inconvenience. It's about balance. Making sure why are you doing what you're doing and why aren't you doing what you're not doing is also, look at the motivation. Are you not doing something because you're going to be inconvenienced? And the Holy Spirit is actually prompting you to humble yourself and allow yourself to be inconvenienced? For something? 
if you're not doing something because God's told you don't do something because you've overcommitted before and you need to chill out, then that's the Holy Spirit prompting you. That's great. You honor what he's saying to you. But if you're not doing something because you've got a, a stronghold in your mind that you're never going to do anything again because you made a decision, you overcommitted one time, and now even though the Holy Spirit's prompting you to actually start getting involved in doing something for his kingdom and you're staying stubborn about it, that's not aligning to the word of God. So it's about balance. I want to do two more topics and then we're going to finish today. Again, this is a teaching message. Grace for others. For a mature believer, the gifts from God are never just for us. They are for others. I'm saved because God wants my kids saved. I believe that. Have you ever thought about that before? Have you ever thought about that you worship a God of generations? Do you know that some people have an issue with churches being led by families? Do you know that if you look at the tribal nature of God, that a lot of times families are the reason why churches actually get birthed around the world? Think about it. I want to just honor all of the leaders in Brisbane right here who lead churches. And a lot of the churches that are led in Brisbane are actually led by family teams. Do you want to know why that is? I'm going to, I'm going to share something with you. Why most churches or a lot of churches are led by family teams? Have you thought about this before? Think about it tribally in the Old Testament. Families. Families and people who married into families became spiritual leaders of a certain. Have you thought about, think about the churches in Brisbane right now? I know you know a church in East Brisbane that you're a bit part of for many years that's led by a particular family. And they all mainly have the last name, whether they've been married into it or not. Do you know, I think sometimes we get caught into the trap of actually misunderstanding the generational building character of God. And we start to think, oh, that's just that family, and you know, that family's. And we don't watch what we say. I believe there's a grace of God on families. Now, why is it important for us to understand this? Because sometimes to build the things of God, it takes persistence, not just sometimes, all times. And probably the biggest thing that it takes starts with the word L. What do you think I'm talking about? Labor. Takes that, yep. Good, love. And then this is another big thing that starts with L. So love is definite. But L, loyalty. Look at the biggest themes when Jesus had the person that betrayed him. When you look at the, in the, the themes of the Bible, loyalty is a big, a lack of loyalty, loyalty or disloyalty is one of the biggest things that the enemy would try and bring into a team. I think the reason why sometimes God positions families because it doesn't matter what goes on, what goes down, and sometimes things can go off in families, but whatever goes on, those people are going to stick together. It doesn't matter if all hell is breaking against that tribe or that local church, wherever it is on planet Earth, if there's some families there, through thick and thin, they know there's a covenant relationship, not just spiritually, but there's a covenant relationship in marriage. Everything else, it creates a dynamic. It creates a barrier against the, the, the arrows of hell. Come on now. I'm wanting to share some revelation to you. We've got to honor the way that God builds sometimes. And I believe that God is wanting to encourage us to get a fresh vision individually here for family. Family is important. Building your family. If your family is not perfect, leave the baggage behind and start moving forward. Well, what's the fresh vision for your family? Building family. I know that as God strengthens families in this church, it means he's going to strengthen this church community. Because if we have strong families in, that, in this church, then it's going to bless this community spiritually. So why am I talking about this? Because I believe that I'm saved because God wants my kids saved. And God wants my grandchildren saved because God wants to build a generational blessing. I want to charge with you today, if your parents aren't saved, don't pray, pray for them, but don't make that an excuse that you can't build a generational blessing. My mom is saved. My dad isn't saved. My brother isn't saved. Have I married into a ministry family? Yes. Has that helped? Yes. I'll be up front with you. 
because Greg and Julie are amazing covering. But can I tell you that there was a time when I wasn't married into the family and I had to be hungry to start building with God a covering upon what God was building in my life. I want to say this to you. Are you building the covering of grace over your life so that your family will be blessed? What I mean by the covering of grace? As in getting together with God and connecting with Him. You are saved not just because of yourself, but because God actually wants to build a lineage through you. I know that I'm blessed financially because God wants to extend the kingdom. I won't go into detail, but there's a shift happening right now in the business that I run where doors are opening. And I know it's because I've been willing to sow seed to make things happen for the kingdom of God. Is that something that I'm bragging about? No, it's actually very humbling. Understanding the grace, your, the grace that God has given you. When we say about grace, grace of God is actually also about your gift. It's not just for you, it's for other people as well. I know that all of us have been given a purpose to serve others. However, it can be all too easy to become inward focused. In the New Testament, Christianity was lived out in community, not in isolation. Church is supposed to be a community of people that exists to express God's grace. And the ultimate test of whether we really get it is really seen in how we relate to other people. Let me finish off by this one, transformed by grace. I'm not sure, can we have a guitar? Guitar's not kind of working, is it? Is the guitar working? You can, yeah, you can, yeah, that'd be good. Thank you. Grace transforms whatever and whoever it encountered. It is both something to receive and something to extend. There are many stories of God's transforming grace at work in the Gospels. God is a master storyteller, telling his story of grace within the lives of people for others to see. In Matthew 1, the genealogy of Jesus is listed. When you read Matthew 1, it talks about his genealogy, talks about King David, talks about the prophetic word of where Christ, from what a bloodline he was going to come from. It is a chapter that many actually skip through. But name after name, generation after generation, it could be considered rather a dull place of the Bible. But when you read it with a revelation of God's grace, why did God choose for this to be included in the word? What it does is it does this. It deliberately points out that Jesus' lineage was full of broken people. I want everyone to catch this. That Jesus' lineage, that how Jesus became the Son of God through the bloodline, that lineage was full of broken people. Most people made mistakes. All of them made mistakes. All of them at times sinned. All of them at times were not perfect godly people. It deliberately points that out. Why? Because it wants to highlight something to you and I today. And I believe that the Holy Spirit just wants to end on this as we come into a time of prayer. In the lineage of Jesus, there was adulterers, there were prostitutes, there were slave people as slaves, there were people who their profession was to lie. They were professional liars. But God didn't allow their stories to end with themselves. God actually, by His grace, He made something of them and actually brought the Son of God through that bloodline. I want us today just to close our eyes. And I believe God wants to just release a new revelation of His grace and His understanding. Father, in this place, I thank you, Lord, for the grace of God. I thank you, Lord, for your enduring love. I thank you, Lord, that through broken people, Lord, you can make things good. You can make things great. Lord, I thank you for your blessing. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, for your peace. Holy Spirit, minister your peace right now in this place. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
I just sense there are two things here that God wants to finish off this morning as you've got your eyes closed. believe that God wants to minister to some people here and maybe you felt like you've been trying to work towards God's grace. And if you're wondering, well, Pastor Brad, I'm not sure if that's me. I hear the Lord say that if that is you, that there's been a lingering tiredness. There's been a lingering weariness. And I hear the Lord say that he wants to just set people free today from that lingering, lingering, just weariness. I'm here the Lord say that it's not necessarily that you've been actually set in stone making a decision. Oh, I'm just going to work and work and work because I need to earn God's love. I hear that even there are some people here and you understand the grace of God and that salvation is not by grace. But it's like you felt like you've been on a treadmill and you're just running and running and trying and trying and trying and feeling more and more tired. And even hear the Lord say that there's been temptation just to get off the treadmill and just to give up. And so if that's you, I want you to stand here today without any hesitation. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you. Thank you, Lord. If you can stand now for me, if that's you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I also hear the Lord say that he's wanting to release just a new dose of freedom. A new understanding of just his freedom in your life. And at many times, I use this term, but I hear the Lord saying that He is wanting you to hit the refresh button today. Even the word, the reset button. Just to start with a clean slate, to just drop off any lingering baggage that's been weighing you down. So you're going to feel lighter. He's literally wanting to just break off heaviness in people's lives today. If that's you, I want you to stand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this. And again, everyone open your eyes. And if you're standing, don't be embarrassed. It's a good thing. God loves humility. I'm going to ask everyone to look where is someone next to you in your seat. I'm going to ask you to go and surround yourself with someone. And I just want teams of people just to lay hands on people here today and just ministering the grace of God. I'm going to ask everyone to stand here. And let's just be respectful of people. Let's just love on people today. Let's just pray for people with faith, with a true heart. Let's just love on people. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a release of your Holy Spirit as you touch people here today, as you minister to people. Lord, we pray that you would pour out your grace. Lord, that you're breaking off weariness. Lord, that you're breaking off tiredness. Father, we thank you, Lord, right now where people have felt like they've been on a treadmill, just running and running and running, Lord. We break off that pursuit of trying to just go after things, but feeling like They're not getting anywhere. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we break off that tiredness. We break off that weariness. We declare right now a freedom being released in people's lives. We pray, Lord, for a grace right now to be released. Father, we thank you, Lord, for a reset, a refreshing right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the wind of the Holy Spirit to just touch people's lives, to enter people's hearts. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you're moving freely in this place right now as we minister, as we minister your love, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and continue praying for those people. Thank you. Thank you, Lord.